are from the Gospel of John, um, chapter 6, beginning at the 24th verse. So when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they themselves got into boats and went to Capernaum looking for Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For it is on him that God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to perform the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, What signs are you going to give us then, so that we might see it and believe you? What work are you performing? Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said, Very truly I tell you, it was not for Moses who gave you it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but it was my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Let us pray. Loving God, may the words that flow from my mouth be inspired by your Holy Spirit. I pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Well, as I said at the beginning of the service, this morning we had some great plans for today's service. We were actually going to pause our, um, our series on the letter to the Ephesians, and we were going to focus on the theme of baptism uh, this morning. And we were going to have an actual real-life baptism in our 9.30 service. And we were going to have a chapel chat-like conversation uh, with Jackson, one of our interns, uh, who was intending to be baptised uh, right at this very ish moment uh, in the service. And uh, we were going to hear a little bit about his journey and his story and what baptism means uh, for him. But because of what's happened yesterday and the restrictions that we are following, um, we'll have to uh, wait for that for another time. They taught uh, me well at Theological College. Well, sometimes they taught me well. Um, but one of the things that I uh, did learn was that you have to, in ministry, always be ready to pray and always be ready to preach. And although I wasn't intending to be preaching uh, with you this morning, that uh, Jackson and I were going to have a great conversation together, um, 
It is always a privilege to break open God's word and it's going to be another great privilege to be able to do that with you uh, this morning. We're still going to keep our fingers on the pause button uh, for our letter uh, to Ephesians series. Um, We'll get back to that very, very shortly. Uh, But uh, it's always good as a good... I try to be a good Anglican sometimes, uh, to look at our lectionary. And we're going to follow uh, the gospel set down in this uh, little book um, for today, which is the passage that I just read from John chapter 6. I just threw the lectionary on the ground um, and it didn't hit anything. Um, The joys of live uh, uh, preaching. So uh, this section of John's gospel follows two of Jesus' most well-known miracles. The first one was the feeding of the 5,000, which um, our friends from Saddleback Kids uh, helped us to remember. And the second uh, was uh, the walking of, on, of Jesus on the water. The feeding of the 5,000 was with a massive crowd, 5,000 men plus women plus children, the type of crowd that we wouldn't be able to have in southeast Queensland, not even for football games right at this very moment. Uh, the second was a little bit more intimate, uh, a little bit more private. It would have just been the, the disciples in the boat that would have seen that uh, next miracle of Jesus walking on the water. All of those, uh, th- both of those miracles happened on the same day, according to John's account. We pick up in this passage the very next day, and the crowd have tracked down Jesus, and they're hungry for more. And this is a very bread-themed part of John's gospel. Some scholars refer refer to this particular part of John's gospel as the bread of life discourse. Bread was an important staple in Jesus' time, and it had important imagery in the narrative of Israel's history. The exodus from Egypt was not only involving the manna from heaven that um, the crowd remind Jesus of, but also the unleavened bread, um, which is part of the Passover festival. But bread is still a staple, an important staple for us today. And we found that out yesterday. Well, particularly our family found it out today. Our daughter, Annika, works at the local bakery um, in Rabina. And um, she was working yesterday and Leanne sent her a quick message asking her to pick up a loaf of bread on her way from, from work um, to home at, after her shift ended. Um, but Annika messaged back saying that all the bread had sold out because everybody else in Rabina had the same idea and the break bakery had no bread. Um, and it did remind me that a bakery uh, without bread is a little bit like a fast food chicken restaurant without chicken. There was an unnamed uh, fast food chicken restaurant that used to be not too far away from our church building here in Rabina, who on multiple occasions uh, told me while I was sitting in my car at the drive-through uh, speaker that they had run out of chicken. Oh, 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 a porto. Last year during our first lockdown, it seemed that so many people found life by baking sourdough bread. Seeing their posts on Facebook reminded me that it's often in those simplicities of life that we can discover or rediscover a sense of purpose, a connection to something that 
we might have lost or discovered for the first time. And many found that in the simple act of baking bread. But in a pre-Westernized world, in a pre-industrial world, if you didn't have any bread, it often meant that you didn't have any food. And if you didn't have any food, then life was not possible. And so in light of this, what Jesus says to the crowd is incredibly profound. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Let's wind back a few verses and amplify the impact of this statement. Jesus challenges the crowd that they're following him around really just for their own self-gain and their own self-interest. He replies to their questioning, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. The crowd becomes intrigued with the way that Jesus is responding. And particularly at the suggestion that they could have some type of food that lasts forever, like some form of Willy Wonka's everlasting gobstopper, but made out of bread. And so they ask him, what must we do to perform the works of God? And I think what they're really asking Jesus in that moment is, what do we need to do so that you can keep performing the miracles that we're hearing about and that we're seeing? How can we get free food? What can we get out of you? And what do we need to do and who do we need to be so that these miracles keep coming? And these questions are still around us today. I hear similar types of words in, st- in different ways from both people inside the church and people outside of the church. Jesus doesn't reply with a long list of criteria of you must be this, you must do that. Instead, he doesn't really answer the question at all. He gives us really one word. Believe. Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So I thought it would be good for us to explore what it means to believe. I'm sure I'm not the only one right at this moment who is uh, really excited about the Olympic Games and is watching it furiously and cramming in and watching it on replay as much as we possibly can. I love the Olympics. Each time it comes around, um, I really find it engaging and I I try and, um, and watch as much as I possibly can particularly the swimming, each, each um, time that there's a swimming event, I, I'm really interested in the results, and whether Australia is involved or not. I, I just love the swimming. But I find myself uh, at Olympic Games time always being drawn to at least one other sport that I am able to gain a new appreciation of. And this year it's been the kayaking and the canoeing. I've just been transfixed as I've watched the events. 
And on Thursday evening, watching Jess Fox um, win her gold medal was just amazing. Earlier this week, I'd felt the heartbreaking disappointment when she was pushed into bronze um, position after being the favourite for the race. But I literally jumped out of my seat when she crossed the line with the fastest time on Thursday evening. It seems to be such a technical event. I've been fascinated hearing her father, Jess's father, commentate. And I've come to understand that kayaking and canoeing is a sport of millimetres. You get your head in the wrong position and it costs you a 50-second penalty. If you brush slightly one of the poles, it will cost you two seconds. And the amount of upper body strength to manoeuvre, control and position the boat is beyond my comprehension. But what I've also been fascinated by is the constant talk by the commentators about mental strength and focus and what the commentators themselves are calling belief. I've heard it multiple times already this Olympics. The athletes need to have the belief that they can not only compete, but that they can win. So it makes me wonder, where does this belief come from? And how does it form? I was talking to my mentor earlier in the year, and I was talking about trying to find some podcasts that weren't religious in nature to balance out my, my listening to podcasts. And he asked me a question. He said, Stuart, do you like sport? And I replied, well, doesn't everybody like sport? And he said, well, try this podcast called The Howie Games. And I did. And I love it. Sports broadcaster Mark Howard interviews athletes and people from sport of all different forms and all different eras. It's interesting that after listening to a number of episodes, that this idea of belief is a recurring theme. It seems that for any athlete to succeed, they need a high degree of belief. But I've been asking, where does this belief come from? And it seems to be, again, consistent across all the stories that belief emerges from hours and hours, years and years of training, of preparation, of hard work, of pain, of heartbreak. Years and years of support from friends, from family, from coaches, from support networks, from teams. Talent is important. But without belief and how it emerges, it seems that none of these athletes would be who they are or where they are. Now, I would love to have won a gold medal in the 100 metres breaststroke at the Olympics Games. Or the high jump, or the long, long jump, or the basketball, or the soccer, or even badminton. I would have loved to have played test cricket for Australia. I would have loved to have won the US Masters at Augusta. 
I would have loved to have won Wimbledon. I had levels of talent in all of those sports. Mostly a very mediocre level of talent, but I never had belief. All I really had was a wish. And that's what we're seeing in the crowd gathered around Jesus today. That they're wishing that Jesus would do another miracle and make it all better, that their stomachs would be filled, that the Romans would be overthrown and everything would be right with the world. But belief in Jesus is more than just wishing for Jesus to do things, which is where the bread comes back in. No bread, no life. No Jesus, no life. In verse 35, Jesus is saying that I am the God who satisfies all of your needs. I am the God you need. I am fully God. Or more simply, Jesus is God and that is enough. Believing isn't just finding a point in our lives where we fall to our knees and pray a special prayer or having a priest splash water on us, or a bishop anoint us in a special service, or doing a particular course, or reading a book, or reading the Bible a particular way. All of those things can be part of it. But belief is actually living like Jesus does actually satisfy your needs. Living like Jesus is the only God that you need. Living like Jesus is fully God. Or simply living like Jesus is God. And that's enough. And if we start to live like this, our belief will regularly be put to the test. Especially in times of snap lockdowns. Belief may have a starting point, and many of us might remember a particular time in our lives that we could pinpoint when belief has begun for us. But belief isn't a one-time event. Belief is dynamic. Belief emerges, it matures, and it evolves from hours and hours and years of years of living like Jesus is enough. Enduring hard times, pain, heartbreak. From getting it wrong more often than we get it right. But with the support of the family of the church, empowered by the Holy Spirit, we can be set right again and again by grace and the profound reality that Jesus is the bread of life. The one thing that truly satisfies and is truly enough. Don't we spend so much of our time looking for something to satisfy? 
the next purchase, the next Netflix series, the next person to make it all better. When all along, there's always been Jesus. We are called to believe in a God who helps us not just to adapt, not just to survive, but to thrive in the culture that we inhabit. Jesus is life and life to its fullest. Better than any gold medal, better than any prize or award. But let's not sit idly by waiting for Jesus to fulfill every wish or fantasy that we might have. Let's commit to do the work, to be fueled by the Holy Spirit and let Jesus be Jesus. After all, Jesus is God. Let me pray. Loving God, it is in Christ alone that we experienced the fullness of your love for us. And it's in Christ alone that right now we can experience an abundant life despite restrictions being in place and told what we can and can't do. The liberating power of a relationship with you is never away from us. It is always accessible. It always is longing to be renewed and strengthened and matured. Meet us now just as we are. Confront us, challenge us and change us. That we might believe. And in believing, we might show your love to others. Amen.